HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hey, and welcome to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Today's show is brought to us by Hearst Ranch, the nation's largest single-source supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef. Since 1865, the Hearst family has raised cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of the Central California coast. The result is beef with extraordinary flavor that is as memorable and natural as the surrounding landscape. For more info, go to hearstranch.com. So from beef to beef gelatin, <laughs> lucky enough to have Sam Bumpus and Harry Parr of Bumpus and Parr. That's jellymongers.co.uk. Yes, they are British on today's The Food Scene. Thank you for uh, crossing the pond. Oh, thank you yeah. very yeah, much. Thank you very much. It's yeah. brilliant to be here. <laughs> Is it crossing the pond when you guys come to the U.S. or when Americans go to London? Who knows? God, you didn't know I was going to ask that wow. question. Yeah, what a stump 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 on that! I'm going to jump back in though on on your on your beef gelatin because that's actually a rather rare breed of of gelatin at the moment. If you're getting technical, most of us is is pork based. At the oh yeah, most of the leaf gelatin is pork. Yeah, it's pretty much all pork based these yeah. days. No, not for the kosher. Uh, well, we, we have real trouble doing the kosher and halal gelatin as yeah, well. Yeah, we were, we were out in Malaysia recently and we did get into some kosher gelatin there, but it's just not as good, actually, the, the beef stuff. Interesting. Okay, so scratch that. Sorry, Hearst Ranch. But if you have some good stuff, send it to Bumpus and Par. We'd, we'd, we'd love to yeah. try it out. That'd, that'd be the challenge. So um, if you haven't guessed by the accents, uh, where did you guys grow up? Uh, England, pretty much. Yeah. In central London? I, yeah, I grew up in London. Oh, excellent. Is that a rarity, too? Uh, like, Parisians actually growing up in Paris? Uh, don't know, not as much as you might, yeah. might think. So, grew up in London, ate traditional London fare, pub food, whatever. Yeah, everyone ate pretty of. badly. Yeah. <laughs> um, then why did you want to bring back something that everyone thought so 
badly of jellies. I mean, they have an interesting historical context in England, don't they? They have an amazing historical context yeah. because when everyone was growing up, uh, jelly was the thing you would have at birthday parties. Kids everyone bir- kids everyone knew parties. all about oh, yeah. jelly, <laughs> but they didn't know about the rich history yeah. and what jelly was all about. And even going back in time, uh, Henry VIII was, for example, really into jelly. So at one of his banquets, he would have jelly for uh, two courses. So there's some really rich stuff going on back yeah. in back in time. Yeah. Well, I think I think that was basically jelly used to be the the dessert of kings. <laughs> um, and uh, apparently, uh, the Egyptian royals used to eat it. Um, although we're still looking for the royal jelly hieroglyphic. Yeah. Um, if someone sees it, that'd be that'd be awesome. <laughs> Just wobbling, mold wobbling, in wobbling, mold. Middle. Well, it's got to it's got to be molded. Of yeah. You yeah. Got, you got that. Um, but you know, if if you think pre-refrigeration, uh, it, it, you know, chilling a jelly down would be would be you know something's pretty tricky. You'd have to have an ice house, so it's something that 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 only the very rich could afford. Um, and also, we're back to gelatin as well. If you've ever tried to clarify your own gelatin, it's quite a process. Yeah, and we've spoken to the, the the experts in England who do nothing except for historical cooking, and we say, okay. Um, yeah, we've we've tried ourselves clarifying uh, gelatin, yeah, from scratch, and uh, still tastes pretty meaty. <laughs> and what is the process of actual clarifying? It's literally sort of boiling stuff up, um, reducing it, letting it set, clarifying it, um, and then do, yeah, and repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat till you're trying to get a really really clear set thing that you would recognise as yeah. gelatin. The problem is, it all tastes of the animal it came from. So we're we're wondering that you know England had this rich history of jellies, yeah, um, and and yet um, we think they probably were all tasted yeah. of the beasts. Well, I mean that got me thinking. Uh, so more savory than sweet, mm. but you know in the U.S. most jellies, well at least while I was growing up with Jello, uh, thought of it as a sweet, uh, you know, entree or. You know, but I think like, with your Jello set of salads, you you really start blurring the lines there in a kind of very yeah. medieval way because those those medieval jellies would have been um, quite meaty. But then when sugar started coming in, sugar was pretty exotic and expensive, so they started naturally adding that to the jelly because yeah. the jelly was expensive as well. So that's kind of where it came about. But um, Sam and I recently made a lot of set of salads, and we were pretty shocked about what you Americans recommend uh, mixing with your Jello. Yeah. Uh, marshmallows, nuts. Well, we're, 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 God, we're bouncing yeah, all fish. over. We're bouncing yeah. all over the sort of time yeah. space continuum. I think in, in a sentence there, we've yeah. got medieval renaissance with all the sugar coming yeah. in, and, and then mid fifties and sixties. So let's flash back to your upbringing. Your, I mean, you mentioned that during birthday parties, uh, jellies were kind of a fixture for children. But what were your first uh, memories of jelly at the table? I always got very excited about trying to make striped uh, ribband jellies because it was just one of those waiting things. You had to wait for the layers yeah. to set. But and ribband is literally, literally means like stripes. Yeah. yeah, it's the sort of Victorian word for stripes. But, of course, waiting for layers of jelly to set when you're six is not that fun. So <laughs> normally it doesn't really work and you yeah. get this kind of kind of mess. But that was always exciting. Yeah, it doesn't seem like the most interactive thing at all times, just because there's so much waiting. Um, well, I think I think the the, the brilliant thing about uh, 
jelly that we've found since we started is that everyone has these jelly stories. It, it, you know, it was always a thing of kids' parties, albeit you know, something a bit lurid, sort of debased as a food stuff, yeah. not classy at all. But everyone has this really sort of emotional attachment to it. And you know, I, was, I was speaking to this, this um, uh, girl, she's a model, absolutely beautiful, um, you know, painfully skinny. Um, and she's like, oh, you do jelly. And I, I, I in fact, am a jelly eating competition champion. <laughs> and the, I think the very high point of her eating career was polishing off 14 bowls in a single sitting oh, Lord. Um, to triumph over all her schoolmates. Um, so everyone has this, and yeah, she loved it. Everyone has this, this, this really, uh, certainly this sort of Anglo-Saxon yeah. culture, um, you know, fond memories and, yeah. and experiences with jelly. And, and the great thing is if you're, if you're able to do fine jellies, with like really good, 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 uh, ingredients and good alcohol, importantly, uh, like we do, then, then it's acceptable for people to get excited about it once yeah. more. Oh, we'll, we'll get to the drinks. Yeah. Just okay. a little early okay, in the day, right. maybe. Okay, you're but. fine. Fair, fair call. Fair um, call. So you grew up in jelly households, not actually made of jelly, uh, but households that serve jelly. What brought you to jelly? Because this wasn't your, you know, thought of career path. Uh, in in Jellymongers, the book I'm holding by Sterling Publishing, Sterling Epicure, um, it mentions that Sam may have gone into politics and Harry, you were working in architectural yeah that's right but sam and i one summer decided that now was the time to get serious with our lives and get a sensible job like a, a stall at london's borough market yeah, yeah just, i think it's going to be more of a hobby yeah, uh, yeah. So, <laughs> it's something fun on the weekend yeah know? yeah so london's uh, borough market is this very famous food market where they sell all sorts of interesting produce and they also sell a lot of ready-made food as well but we decided that what they really needed and what the people needed <laughs> was jelly because no one was doing jelly and we didn't really understand why they needed a light a nice light fresh uh, wobbly dessert yeah. so away we went in with our application um to get our stall there and unfortunately they told us to get lost i thought so, you were gonna say bug off or something more british yeah <laughs> So they, they told you, no, get away. Said, no one yeah, I think Harry was being polite. Yeah. They, weren't, they weren't polite at all, but it mu- must yeah. have been something to do with the fact that I was calling up, calling them up every hour on the yeah. hour saying, we're so excited. We've got this jelly sauce. It's going to be genius. It's yeah. going to be, it's going to revolutionize your market. And they were just like, never call us again. Yeah. Get, yeah, get out of it. But um, yeah, it was, uh, it was uh, from there that our jelly adventure started. Yeah. Not so we, disheartened. We discovered that everyone was indeed like really still into jelly. So yeah. we started making all these jellies with lots of fresh fruit. And it was amazing the reaction um, that it had. And people absolutely loved it. Um, so we knew we were onto a good thing. And then, then we realized that there was a bit of a problem because we couldn't get any decent jelly molds. And for us, like the whole thing about jelly is having the amazing molds. So all the molds that we could find on eBay, they cost hundreds and hundreds of pounds. We yeah. just couldn't afford them. So we're like, oh dear, like not only has Borough Market turned us down, but we now can't afford any molds. So this is this was a really bad idea getting into into jelly. Yeah. But <laughs> this was where uh, I worked out that actually we can make our own molds. So I used the training that I had as an architect. And I started designing all these uh, different molds in uh, 3D on the computer and yeah. getting them printed out and uh, started vacuum forming them. And then suddenly we were able to make literally anything 
That's in awesome. Delhi. So it went from there. Because traditionally, most molds were made of what uh, ceramic and glass. But yeah, through the ages, they've been made of different materials as material technology has improved. So yeah. if Henry VIII, they're actually carved out of wood. Yeah, amazingly. Um, and then they they've been in ceramic and different types of metals. So the Victorians had these beautiful and very functional copper molds. Yeah. Um, then they started doing cheaper uh, ceramic molds, and then glass molds, and then aluminium molds. Uh, and then plastic molds, which are less functional, but yeah. And what do you guys range. mainly work in? Plastic. We we use a very thin sort of plastic, which yeah. is a bit like copper, but less expensive. Yeah, yeah. If we if we had our druthers, if we could, we'd just do only only copper. Yeah. Um, but it's it's punishing, and we can, and we've been uh we've been electrophoning our own copper molds as well, which is really fun. Um, but it's sort of punishingly expensive. Oh yeah. But the but the copper's great. You get really good. It's really good for unmolding jellies all you need to do is place your copper mold on the table wrap a warm towel around it yeah the mold will do it, the jelly will just slip out and speaking of copper um making jellies the process of actually combining the gelatin with sugar syrup mm. um you advise that copper pots are some of the best materials to actually be cooking that in is that correct oh i think you can use, use <laughs> <Yeah>. anything <laughs> yeah but we, uh, but we shouldn't use about oh yeah <laughs> I didn't know whether or not you were just copper fanatic. No, we're not. No, we're no. not. Copper for the molds. Is good. So for the molds, it's it's nice, um, but but tricky to get hold of. Um, yeah, and and also like um, we've been we've been advocating copper for ages, and I did a, a class. Had a lady there, and she was she was so keen. She was so excited. She had just got a copper mold. She went straight home from the class, made her her six year old son a jelly, learning the things that she had learned. And poisoned him. <laughs> copper trick, poisoning. Because the trick you've got to look out for is, is um, you know, good copper mold has got a, a tin lining. Yeah. Um, and if that if it's if it's come untinned, then, then oh, you can get with the, the copper poisoning. Did so the boy he, he turn can't. copper? Kind of like um, those guys who have too much silver in their system. He, he was oh. he was kind of all right in the end. And, and actually, the good thing is he wasn't he wasn't put off by jelly, but indeed wanted wanted more of it yeah. to get him through his to get him through his poisoning. <laughs> but I was feeling pretty guilty. Or um, maybe he had some kind of a new taste for copper now, yeah. and he was going to be like a copper vampire. Uh, maybe. <laughs> Give him a superhero power yeah. through, through Jelly. Um, so from being able to create your own molds and, you know, concoct your own recipes, what set you apart from, you know, jellies that were already existing in London at the time? Well, jellies didn't really yeah. exist at the time. So well, in London, we had, menus. we had Hartley's jelly, yeah. um, which is a bit like your equivalent of Jello. Yeah. So this comes in cubes rather than powder, but and that's been around pretty, for a yeah, hundred years. Been yeah. around for hundred plus years. Yeah. Um, some of the supermarkets were making ready-set jellies, but they had them in boring like non-molds, and they set them with weird stuff like pectin, or yeah. tried to make them vegetarian. So yeah. There just wasn't anything decent around, but sort of at, at the time when we were starting rolling out the proper jellies, then lots of chefs at the same time were starting to do decent things and realizing the joy that jelly could bring to people as well yeah well i think i think we are when we're, when we're starting as it coincided with uh chefs being very interested in textures mm-hmm. and of course jelly has this it's rather sort of mesmerizing texture where it's something between well it's just not really anything is it? it's just it's just somewhere between liquid and solid and it and it's sort of silky and melts in your mouth and, and of course you can turn almost anything into a jelly in some in some format yeah um, you know, it's, it's a good kind of supporting element on you know, either a savoury or, or sweet dish for chefs. So, um, over the past four years, certainly in London, um, 
we've seen jelly migrate onto menus across across the capital, which has been really really exciting. Um, yeah, if slightly expensive for us, because of course we've got to go try them all out and see and see yeah. what <laughs> see if anyone's doing anything interesting yeah. that we're we're missing some 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 tricks on. But it's yeah, it's cool. It's it's fun, and it, and it also goes ties in with the you know. There's been for years in England, we've we've had this great complex about our food. Everyone says it is just rubbish, absolute crap. Um, and I think people are trying to find a, a new pride, a new direction, um, and turning back to the food of the past. And you're getting chefs like. Uh, yeah, Heston Blumenthal has just launched his his fresh restaurant uh, dinner in London, um, which every every dish comes with a date um, specifying where it's inspired by, and, and uh, so you're finding jellies, uh, of course, tied brilliantly with uh, the British culinary tradition, um, because certainly in Europe, um, you know, food and, and dining has been dominated by French cuisine, and there are only two things that that we Brits could do better than the French. <laughs> Um, and one of them was jelly. The second was roasting. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, so that you know, but in London, there's there's this, there's this real excitement of people getting back into the jelly and learning how to do it. Um, and you know, inspired by sort of stories of sneaky French chefs um, coming over to under the cover of darkness to to get the the very special molds that ingenious molds, in fact, that only only the Brits knew how to make in the past. Um, so the, all these different factors like textures, new cooking, uh, you know, respect for history and tradition have all sort of combined um, to, to form this new new uh, fountainhead of, of, of excitement about jelly. That, wow. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a good place to be. Yeah, it's not a bad place. We're going to take a quick break and actually talk about the futurists. All right, wow. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. We'll be right back. service announcement from Heritage Radio Network. Tune in to the main course Sundays at 12 p.m. with hosts Patrick Martins and Katie Kiefer. They examine issues from the interconnected worlds of agriculture, cuisine, and sustainability. They sit down with key players in the chain from producer to consumer, farmers, distributors, chefs, activists, and journalists. The main course explores every important component of the eating experience, how the farmers raise their product, the distribution channels that move the product, how the chefs prepare it, and how ethics and policy affect everyone involved. Again, that's the main course, Sundays at noon, on the Heritage Radio. Welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. If you've been listening in, you've been hearing a decent amount about jellies from Bumpus and Parr. That's jellymongers.co.uk. 
UK. Man, those URLs. A lot of dots. CO.UK. You couldn't just come up with dot CO.UK. Break it up. You guys don't control the internet in London? No. Uh, no. Not yet. Not yet. So we were just talking about tradition. Um, you know, and, and the cultural context of jelly in London. But I kind of wanted to break away for a second because all you do isn't just jelly, per se. Uh, Sam and Harry have a very interesting um, resume of kind of like installation art uh, from an alcoholic architectural event where you walked in a cloud of breathable gin and tonic. Um, a punch bowl flooded a building with about four tons of Cavassier punch, mm-hmm. if I'm correct. Uh, I think most recently you had a chocolate waterfall that had five tons uh, of chocolate flowing, <laughs> and you'd put on, what, a protective suit, walk through a waterfall, yeah. make your own chocolates within this kind of contained environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and most recently, a rabbit cafe. Yeah. Can you explain that one to me a little bit? Well, I mean, and this also slightly comes from jellies as well, because in England, everyone has these uh, rabbit jelly molds. It's the most popular mold. Everyone goes, oh, I had rabbit jellies <laughs> yeah. as a kid. And we've always been utterly bewildered by it. Why, why rabbit jellies? The only way to get to the bottom of it was to get a whole herd of rabbits, open a cafe with them, and have people touch rabbits and eat. Yeah. Um, so it kind of has resonance with uh, one, of, one of our favorite cookbooks, which we think an awful lot of uh, you know, modern chefs have, have as their dark secret under their pillow, <laughs> um, which is a futurist cookbook, yeah. which is you know, this, this 1930s art manifesto written as a cookbook with sort of weird, wonderful ideas. But the thing that there is so prescient about it is it, it was really addressing ideas of you know, the uh, sort of sensory crossover in dining. So how certain sounds, how certain textures, how certain colors could... Um, affect your 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 uh eating experience um the rabbit cafe for us was uh, really an exploration of uh the haptic sense um in the context of dining because if you're if you're touching stuff you know, touch touch is normally neglected yeah um, well you're you know, mainly holding silverware you're holding I mean, silverware you have napkins but yeah. it's, it's kind of a blank canvas yeah um and uh the the futurists are great because they they had a, a special word for um, you know, certain uh, senses of touch that that were paired brilliantly with um, different flavors um, and and different textures, and they had whole dishes geared to this. So um, I think they they one one of these pairings was um, uh, you know the eat like eating a banana and stroking velvet or or a woman's flesh. Yeah, um, they're quite they're quite rude and sensual <laughs> as well. Um, and so for us, we had, um, you know, eating, eating uh, Pashmak, the uh, Iranian cotton candy, as it were, and, and, and touching um, the, uh, the, the rabbits, the herd of rabbits. Of course, it was Easter as well. Yeah. Um, the, the difficulty you ran up against is, is in the UK, um, obviously, uh, there's a lot of care and concern. People, people have a lot of love for, for pets, and rabbits seen very much as a pet animal. Um, we had a very difficult time explaining that, that, that the Pashmak was in fact not actually rabbit fur that we'd scalped <laughs> off the rabbits yeah. that people were eating. That, yeah. that made it, it made it tricky. Um, but but, but kind of, I think it added a, a frisson of danger as well. Yeah. But I mean, these aren't just 
events of synesthesia, uh, of reinterpreting senses. Uh, you also educate. Um, this event itself also taught people a little bit about animal husbandry. Or, you know... Uh, yeah, to- absolutely. Because in the UK, the rabbit is one of the most popular pets, but it's also the one that's widely... Um, abused yeah. and people don't know how to look after so oh, we, also, we, had a, we had a vet on hand to yeah. show people how to yeah. how to look after and treat rabbits with decent yeah. amount of respect yeah I mean do most of your um, installations or art projects have some kind of moral to the end of them um, well, it, it's normally a, a sort of buried moral. Yeah. It's not one. It's not one that you have to get to. We're not. Yeah. Gonna, we're not going to bash you over the yeah, head yeah. with it. Um, but if you want to, if you want to go there, if you want to want to learn more, um, then it's really good if there's like this depth and um, uh, yes, yeah, sort of areas that you can you can explore. Say on this rabbit cafe, for example. Not only did we have um, you know vet there staffing it, teaching people about how to how to look after rabbits, but also we'd worked with a um, a neuroscientist. Um, Dr. Ben Seymour, who uh, you know, is, is actually a specialist in sort of neuroimaging, and he was he was looking at how the sense of touch um, can affect the dining experience, and he put together a whole whole research brief on this that people could find out about. We also worked with a materials scientist and engineer, um, uh, Dr. Zoe Lachlan at King's, and she's specifically interested in the the textures of um, uh, different. Uh, different eating implements and how they affect your sense of taste. Um, yeah, everyone knows that if you have, um, God, almost anything with a wooden spoon, it's just going to be uh, disgusting. Yeah. It's going to be it's going to be filthy. You, know? yeah. you don't want to go anywhere near it. Um, and so, you know, she was able to bring these perspectives to light as well. But, but with the sort of exhibition notes about it, um, you could you could explore. Um, but of course. Yeah, that was only there if you wanted it. On on the surface of it, it's like you know you're going into a cloud of gin and tonic. Who cares if we work with uh, three doctors and a ex- chemical explosives yeah. expert to get there? Or you know this one, you're going into a place where they're they're you know you're a massive purple room and there are literally a whole, whole huge herd of ra- white albino rabbits yeah. bouncing around. It's it's a really sort of sensual, yeah. fun thing to do. But if you want to know more, it's there. Yeah. Excellent. How many people wanted to know more? Um. Probably about fifteen percent. Yeah, but everyone had a smile, so that's oh, I'm sure. Thing. I'm sure. I, I don't see how you couldn't with a herd of how did you say it? Albino rabbits. Albino rabbits. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Peter Greenaway. Not to you know tangentially talk about somebody else, <laughs> but he's the, a, the he's master a, of tangents. He's, he's a sensualist. Yeah, yeah. He's, um, he's a man that understands how to trigger senses. I can't believe I've actually mentioned the Italian futurist, Anastasia, Peter Greenaway, like in about three or four of my other shows. It's, yeah. it's a very uh, reoccurring theme. But Peter Greenaway, uh, a cook, wife, thief, lover, uh, a movie which is kind of like this operatic dinner party. Yeah. Uh, you worked with him uh, on an event uh, that ended up having a very interesting um, outcome, scratch and sniff. Well, I think I think we all... <laughs> So we worked with him. I think that's quite quite generous. Yeah. Him. I think we kind of hijacked his film. Actually, <laughs> um, we I, I've been really really interested in the work of um, uh, like William Castle, and of course, you know, he he, he went for cult B movie stuff. He he went for scratch and sniff cinema. So yeah. getting people to have um, actually, he didn't do scratch and sniff. I think he 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 worked on pumping auditoriums full of different smells. 
but then I had problems because you can get smells in, mm-hmm. you can't get smells <laughs> out. So you get this yeah. crazy overlap and it doesn't quite work. Um, but we wanted to do that and we, we uh, looked, at, looked at all the different um, technologies available. And of course, scratch and sniff, this forgotten, neglected, something that everyone's had in their childhood um, in sort of 70s and 80s. It, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, so we did a big ring round and found out uh, someone that could, that could provide scratch and sniff and micro-encapsulate flavours if we came up with the, the, the aromas. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're able to pair it to a film. We're trying to look for what is the ultimate full-on experience film. And of course, it's got to be Peter Green who's yeah. cooked The Thief, His Wife and a Lover because it's so visceral, so uh, powerful. Um, anyway, that if you add in that extra sensual layer of smell, it becomes almost overwhelming. And we, ha- we had people nearly puking during the screening. <laughs> Um, as people climb into the fetid meat locker. Um, but then we, when, we, when we were doing this, we got in touch with um, uh, Mr. Greenway, and um, we actually ended up screening, uh, doing the, the premiere screening of the pairing of, of it at uh, the ICA when he, was, when he was doing a talk there and, and did, a, did a sort of extended interview with him, um, which was hilarious. He was totally brilliant. Yeah. Um, it was it was quite a lot of fun. I think it was around Valentine's Day as well. So he ended up telling us what he'd cook a lover uh, in order to seduce them, and that would be a crocodile. <laughs> in fact, so that's exactly what I was thinking. It was quite yeah. mean when we did the screening because yeah. we did it on Valentine's Day. Yeah. So lots of couples came along, yeah. and I don't know how many people had seen the film before, but the film was pretty shocking. Yeah, uh, the first time you see it, but when you when you see the film and you start smelling. Um, the rotten meat yeah this that and the other it is it was too much for some people and some some people weren't able to to scratch the last smell yeah so and the last smell was the well, cooked so, flesh yeah of course the very the very most exciting but I, I also remember there's a scene i think uh earlier in the beginning um of the movie where the guy is covered in uh is it Excrement. feces? Yeah. yeah. So, did you have that indole uh, yeah, smell? We had, yeah, we had that smell. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. So that was that was one of the more challenging ones. I think there they got was... a nice smell of us uh, cigarettes after that. To yeah. Cleanse the palate. Yeah. <laughs> Cigarette to cleanse the palate. There was there were, there were there were some there was one which was a floral in there. Yeah. So there was some that were some that were okay. Yeah. Um, and I think there's some food there's some food smells as well. Um, but it was no, it's cool. It was really it was really fun. And then and then. With that, we're, we're really keen on just, in that case, exploding the whole uh, film out of the out of the screen. And um, so we opened up a, a kind of cinema concession for the for the interview with all the <laughs> all the regular stuff that you get at the cinema. Yeah. Um, but had, had it as if it'd been possessed somehow um, by Greeno's cook thief, his like wife and her lover. Um, and so you know we had we had a massive popcorn machine, but we had golden naked men in with all the popcorn. Um, bewilderingly, people still ate the popcorn. Uh, <laughs> it might have been a bit bit sweaty as well. Um, but then you know, so we had uh, twenty four karat golden robed hot dogs. Um, you know, weird and wonderful pick and mix selection um, with lots of homemade uh, candies, um, and we're working. Uh, I think at that stage we're working very hard to get candies that that flashed in your mouth, like your wintergreen ones, as well as popped. Um, and I guess that that's when we started becoming really obsessed with with sweets as well, which mm-hmm. has kind of led on uh, more recently to doing uh, this sort of artisanal chewing gum factory where people made chewing gum 
uh, right from scratch and over 40,000 flavors, which is amazing. Um, and, and literally, um, it's hard to, hard to believe it because so much has happened since yesterday. We were there at the chocolate waterfall. We had five tons of, of <laughs> chocolate uh, flowing at a rate of 12,000 liters an hour, um, which people were able to bottle up as a chocolate elixir and take home with them, which was unbelievable yeah. it's really really fun so do you realize how far off from jelly some of these events are um but i mean how amazing and crazy logistical nightmares they are why did you go from jelly to chocolate waterfall why did you go from jelly to scratch and sniff with peter greenaway was i je- think we've always just been interested in what goes on with food the joy that it can bring to people yeah. and that all started with jelly but we do these other projects on the side to to mix things up yeah but we're always like back into jelly and making new molds and creating new flavors and things so there's always lots of excitement on the jelly front well i think i i, I think as well actually getting into this all came out of the of, of the massive problems that we had with jelly um so one of the one of the very early projects that we did with jelly is uh you know harry has said how he he'd used his architectural training to work out how to make jellies in any shape. And, and we really wanted to push ourselves with this. So we challenged all the architects to come up with jellies in any shape, any size, whatever. We'd make all the molds. Um, and so we had you know, architects from around the world came up with thousands of different designs. We had to make them all. Um, and we soon found out that you can't really make jellies that big unless you want a very sticky mess. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and what's more... Um, as we said that we're going to exhibit all the designs uh, as part of a, a, a jelly banquet, uh, we soon found that we had uh, 2,000 people coming along to see what was effectively uh, jellies measuring about 7 inches <laughs> by 7 inches. So we yeah. thought it was going to be totally underwhelming unless we started looking at all these other visual, textual, sound aspects to just amplify the experience. And so it's kind of almost a shortcoming of jellies then prompted us to go into these larger fuller scale food installations and it's the things we've learned from the jelly um that has led us let us um uh you know realize projects on a bit of a grander scale speaking of grander scale uh you have a dinner coming up for a few hundred fifteen hundred people oh it's over two thousand over two thousand yeah people. So this is a uh, an event called dining with alice which is taking place in norwich um in the east of England and it's quite a magical Alice in Wonderland as it, as it obviously is a yeah. themed experience <laughs> um, and the, the basic premise is you've got these 256 diners that are coming every night and they it starts off it's in this grounds of this beautiful country house surrounded by a moat um, they start off with some canapes and drinks then all of a sudden out of the bushes um, <laughs> hundreds of waiters appear and they grab an individual diner and take them to one of 256 tables laid out um, amongst the grounds of the house. So it starts this whole sort of magical evening and there's there's a whole logistic challenge. Every yeah. course, everyone moves and people are not moving from one table to the next table. They're moving um, hundreds of meters across the ground. So <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a, a real challenge. feast, yeah. So why the concept for this one? Why did you feel like someone had to move from one table to the next between courses? Uh, well, it's not actually, this one is not actually our concept, um, but it's, it's now our problem. <laughs> um, so we just, we just, we, we went along for the, for um, the, one of the most amazing production companies, Artichoke, putting it all together. And they did things like have this massive 
robot elephant shut down all of London as it moved, paraded through the streets with uh, 1.3 million people coming to watch it. They, they do cool stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, but anyway, they, they, they thought that, I think they got the wrong idea about us. I think from our website <laughs> that they thought we're, we're some sort of big corporation or yeah. something. Um, and so approached us to sponsor the, the, the event. And we came out of the meeting, not sponsoring it, but actually doing all the catering. And, and the thing that for us was really exciting was a logistical challenge. And like, you know, actually, can we do this? Can we make it happen? Um, and uh, yeah, that's going to be the challenge for next week. Yeah. Which is, which is fun. Yeah. So back to the logistics of jelly to, you know, come full circle. Okay. I actually want to give people a couple slightly technical tips about jelly before we leave. Um, well, one, how to actually make a jelly. We know there's gelatin. We know there's like a simple syrup of flavoring. What happens after that? Well, that, I, I think that's the best way to think of it is like literally any liquid that you'd like to yeah. drink. Um, Plus gelatin, use uh, we we also use leaf gelatin, um, fine leaf gelatin, and use uh, one sheet to every 100 milliliters or 100 grams of uh, liquid you've got. We just make it on the scale, so it's a really really simple ratio, and that's a good one for unmolding um, the jelly as well. So it's set slightly firmer than if you're setting it in a glass yeah. or something. Um, and we we just basically think of it like making cocktails. You just make your favorite cocktail. Add the gelatin that ratio, away you go. Yeah, um, and you you do make some cocktail jellies as well. Yeah, uh, well, you, you I think you all should. And, and in <laughs> fact, uh, if you read sort of uh, some Mrs. Beast and Agnes B. Marshall, one of these Victorian authors, every single one of their jelly recipes will end now chucking a glass of brandy. <laughs> um, so we keep that spirit alive. It's not just uh, sort of student vodka jello shots. Yeah, um, it, it can be very sophisticated. The alcohol yeah. adds um, you know, real depth. Yeah, and. and uh, I think my favorite jelly at the moment is probably um, one that I one that I call the the, the fruit salad of death, um, <laughs> and it, it incorporates um, I think uh, champagne, soda water, violet liqueur, um, Hendrix gin, and then all of, uh, that you sort of uh, take some of those ingredients and then you infuse about five or six fruits in it and then settle the fruit yeah. in it as well. Um, I was about to say the uh, base of that already sounds like my favorite drink, the Aviation, um, uh, with some bubbles. Yeah, with, so, uh, with, with the sparkle yeah, yeah. as well. It's a it's a it's a real winner. Yeah, um, but alcohol causes a problem with setting. Uh, not normally, unless you put absolutely loads in. Yeah. <laughs> so especially if it was if it was overproof rum, you might have a problem. Yeah. You tried to set that neat. So is there a percentage? Is there it's a ratio? Only, it's only like sort of 40 percent that that alcohol starts disrupting gel strength. So unless um, you make it like super strong you yeah, might yeah, have almost, a problem almost like meat or something oh yeah, so if yeah you making, might as well just be a cocktail. yeah you might as well just be just, taking just shots at that point yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, don't don't worry about it lemon juice acidity acidity is more of a killer actually than alcohol so just don't don't add too much yeah lemon juice kiwi pineapples they're that's, not good you want to keep those up yeah but that's yeah. that's not actually because of the acidity that's just the flesh eating enzymes <sighs> that you have in them yeah damn, damn that bromelain those flesh eating enzymes we could only attack with pineapple and kiwis instead yeah, of napalm. It's, it's the way. <laughs> well, actually, I mean, funnily enough, we did um, did a bit of an extension on the the alcoholic architecture, where we um, uh, worked with Fairtrade Fruit to make a, a ziggurat of flavour, which was like a this three four story uh, pyramidal structure that people went through, and we had all this vaporised fruit inside. Um, and uh, when you literally when you went through it, we worked with space scientists so that when you've been through. 
um, you'd had one of your five pieces of fruit that you're supposed to eat every day just through your lungs and eyeballs. But of course, one of the fruits we we're working with was pineapple, and it, it, it's just got it's got a, a protease enzyme in it, um, which which will dissolve your lungs and eyeballs if you absorb <laughs> it like that. Yeah. Um, so it's quite important with that one that that we denatured it, or else it would be just like going through a poisonous gas cloud. Yeah. So with that, the 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 HACCP procedure was paramount. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, pineapple dangerous. I know with pork too, it breaks down mm. the actual flesh of the beast. Um, you mentioned ribband before, stripes. Yeah, the stripes. So milk is actually uh, helps things set firm. Milk's good. Milk makes jelly set much firmer, so you can use less gelatin. Yeah, yeah. So you make what a uh, blanc mange, and then yeah, but probably don't make it with um, solid milk, as it were. So you yeah. want to you want to reduce. Uh, you want to add about twenty five percent water, probably. Are there any other jelly tips that you'd like to tell us, Jello eating Americans? Oh, jelly tips! Like yeah. whatever you do use a mold like you know it's so so important like the visual aspect of a jelly wobbling on a plate is is you know so much of the joy of it um and you know if you can't get a mold like when we started we even just got tupperware and, and started like uh you know bang out of that or or you know like when you have jelly boats at a kid's party like yeah. you know halved orange and then filled up with jelly you can do a really fancy version of that which we're really keen on which is where you, you make a tiny uh quarter size hole in the top of the orange using an espresso spoon to get out all the flesh it yeah. works particularly well with the, a mandarin and then you fill it up with alternate layers of um, like a blancmange and yeah, the juice that, that you've got out of it um, set as jellies and then, then you can do the old trick where you flip it over so no one can see the hole <laughs> cut it in front of everyone at the table yeah. and then miraculously there are these layers that no one can quite work out how they've arrived there that's great fun uh, but all yeah like make sure you address the visual aspects of a jelly. Yeah. It's it's funny because I think we had a jello bowl in my house and it was nice. the jello bowl. It wasn't a mold, it yeah. just was the bowl that jello was yeah. made in. So I've always seen jello as the same big wobbly shape. Um but speaking of terminology, wobbly. I love it as a descriptor. Are there any other uh, jello words? Is there a language that you guys use to describe jellies? Well, I think I think God, my favourite jelly world actually is is uh, what they call it in German, um, where it's known as a wackle pudding. Wackle pudding, which I, I just think is an amazing term for a dessert. It's quite the other the other thing was Gottspiel is the other word for it. Um, I, I'm probably saying it totally wrong. Yeah, um, which is which is God's pudding as well. So that, like in Germany, they've got a firm respect for yeah the most wobbly of desserts. Yeah, and we have Bill Cosby. You, yeah. you have Bill Cosby, <laughs> but that's not. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we're, talk, we're talking. I think about different different desserts. Yeah, as yeah. Well. very much so. Um, any other last jelly words before we send you back to jelly London? Facts. Um, quivers, quite a good one. Yeah, um, and and I, I think actually uh, one of my favourite facts as well is that uh, quite often the Victorians wouldn't even eat the jellies on their table. They they would just set them out there instead of flower arrangements. And gently, as they were as they were nudging the table throughout the meal as they were eating, all the jellies long would quiver, and, <laughs> and it'd be it'd be uh, apparently really rather titillating. Yeah, um, there's something rather lewd about the wobble of, of certain jellies, especially in certain forms. We'll leave that adult show for another episode. But I wanted to thank Sam, Bumpus, Harry Parr, Jelly Mongers, Extraordinaire. Check out the book by Sterling Epicure. Uh, came out this May. 
Absolutely wonderful. Have a jelly party. Have a breathable gin and tonic party. Why not? Um, future things that you guys are working on that you might want to preview with us? Oh, there's a lot of stuff. We're, we're getting really into flooding at the moment. <laughs> so there's a lot of, lot of, lot of epic flooding yeah. projects in the pipeline, which are quite fun. Excellent. So get your slickers on. Check out jellymongers.co.uk. Thanks to Hearst Ranch for sponsoring the show. Jack Inslee for, again, doing everything in the studio. And I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, hoping to tune in next Tuesday at 3 for the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on HeritageRadioNetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening.